Brad, you want to hear something funny? Uh, yes. Remember I sent you that picture the other day of me wearing the respirator and the goggles? Yeah. Well, it's because there's a room in our house. I was trying to strip the finish off of a wood floor. And even though I knew you should get one of those, you know, big stand-up sanders for it. Right. I was like, you know what? I'll just, I'll just try it. I'll just hit it with my, my orbital, you know, my hand <laughs> And I'm like, the floor? Yeah. <laughs> I think oh, the last yeah. time it was wood <laughs> was like the 1970s. I quickly, like within two hours of getting into it, I was like, oh, no way. oh good God, what did I get myself into? When you'd cleared like a square foot of it? <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, maybe now 30 hours in, maybe like 70 pads. <laughs> I I I was wearing just like a regular mask at first and then I I felt like I was like proper like killing myself. I had to buy like a respirator mask to to do it. Yeah, I Is don't it know. paint? You're sanding off paint? I'm sanding off finish like, oh, you know, okay. like like uh Yeah, yeah, it gets wood it gets floor finish, you know. Kind of scary. Yeah, not good. So, uh, almost done though. But I took so long <laughs> waiting for you. I didn't get to work tonight. <laughs> Sorry. It's, you know, it's a ba- it's a tough time of the night for me. I've got like dinner and then that turned into like a Mandalorian episode and then I had to put Oscar to sleep. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I I kind of I might have shot myself in the foot with the Mandalorian. Are you deep into season 2? Is season 2 the the current season? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we're like halfway through it, I think. So, I or or more maybe. I haven't started it yet. I, I watched season one. I loved it. And then my wife just finished watching A Handmaid's Tale, which I can't watch sh- like episode by episode. It's too much. It's too real. Right. It's no fun. Right. After eight o'clock. You need no some fun. Mandalorian. You need some brainless. Yeah, something like that in my life. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, watch The Mandalorian with me. Like, can you do it? She's like, sure, I'll try. But you have to start from the beginning. Oh. So I'm like, all right. That's not where I shot myself in the foot. I just think like I'll, we'll check in at a later episode at some point, but the odds of of her getting through this slim. I'm talking <laughs> I'm talking 10%. Well, even my 13-year-old daughter who really likes fantasy and stuff like cuz me and Oscar just totally groove on it and she'll be like, "How come these stormtroopers literally can't hit anything ever?" <laughs> I mean, valid. <laughs> valid point valid point <laughs> she's just like seeing through all the little i'm like this is the star wars universe it's a different it's the this physics are you, different and yeah, <laughs> your reality the actors are bad it's just this is how it goes this is just this is another it's another world it's another it's universe space. it's space <laughs> well speaking of space Oh, we get it to aliens we again. Do, of course. Perfect. I warned you. I told you. I told you I'm getting Tom on. We're getting weird. I'm we're getting good with deep. It, man. Wait, I have a question for you, though. Okay. Remember that classic scenario? You're walking down a lonely path and all of a sudden a UFO lands in front of you. <laughs> classic scenario. Classic scenario. <laughs> 
uh, or unidentified aerial phenomena now right. <laughs> lands in front of you. A few large-headed, bug-eyed people come out and they say, Brad, <laughs> come with us. We'll show you the secrets of the universe. We'll, we'll give you every insight you ever wanted to know you can see it all we'll show you around but we have to probe your ass <laughs> no 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 that that that's a wild card you don't know if that's coming or not but they say you have to come with us now oh and right. you don't get to tell anyone right right and you just got to bounce do you do it Definitely pre-kids, even post-marriage, yes, but not. <laughs> even post-marriage. <laughs> Very nice. I don't know if I could do that to my kids, though, but I don't know. I, I, I would have to say, after just, you know, putting a nine-year-old down to bed with a, with a story that there's no way. But you know what? Put an alien in front of me and maybe it'll be a different story. Yeah. Or maybe if I just finished trying to, like, remote school the kid <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get me out of here give me a ride do you have ipas on there <laughs> oh yes but you know what there's no better time to get into the ufo phenomenon than now it's definitely the kind of news that i want to be listening to <laughs> yeah i mean listen when this place melts we need somewhere to go <laughs> speaking of the earth swallowing humanity whole <laughs> the perfect intro for our friend Tom May. To a very pleasant, very pleasant podcast. Yeah, what a wonderful podcast. He's a all-time classic weirdo. <laughs> like, <laughs> I met him early on. You know, we started playing with Menzingers way back in the day. I think we covered most of that stuff the last time we had him on. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mentioned it in this, but he's just one of my all-time favorite, like, tour hangs. One of those people you find yourself outside with and before you know it you're you're 45 minutes in <laughs> and you're finding a different part of yourself or questioning a part of you know or looking to a different spectrum or considering microdosing. you know just like <laughs> i don't know something cool is coming out of that you know <laughs> so it doesn't surprise me that he's got his own podcast that rules the future friday podcast i've been listening to it more prepping for this interview and it is a lot of fun. He takes people on journeys with him. And uh well let's go on a let's go on a journey ourselves, Brad. Let's go. It's going on this is how amateur I was logging in. I, my mouse ran out of batteries. I did, yeah, I didn't know that was still a thing. It's like, yeah, like the Apple mouse needs to charge via USB, and I just well, never did it. It's never like you're armless. You're suddenly armless. Yeah, exactly. I'm I was here. Like, no, I'm here. How do I fix this? Can I use the directional arrows to like move the pointer around? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. That's Because everybody with an iMac at some point in their life got really good at using short keys because yeah. the mouse went away. Yep. You know, all of a sudden. Uh, so, Tom. <laughs> thanks for coming on the program. Old hey. friend of the show now. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me again. Various uh times. What have you been up to, man? What's uh give me uh give me a quick debriefing of the the general um headspace and day to day of 
of young squire tom i gotta say uh, uh, as far as like since i've talked to you last lots has happened uh the probably in a similar situation as most people are uh in our position during the the pandemic you know i went through the phase where we baked bread uh we had a garden for the first i had a garden for the first time ever which was kind of paradigm shifting a little bit from being on tour for so many years yeah right um yeah but i've been fantastic the last couple of months uh, the last like okay. two months. So that's, that's yeah, as good as the pandemic will let me. It's great. I have a black thumb. I can kill anything. So I'm just curious, like, what you grew or what you were good at growing in your garden. Sure. So I'm actually uh, an amateur mycologist, I would say. Um, I have been working with mushrooms and grown gourmet mushrooms, like, um, you know, your oysters and shiitake and things like that for, for a couple of years now. And in the garden, we grew tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, some hybrid peppers. We had a, did not have any idea how fast squash bred. I killed the shit out of like three squash plants. <laughs> uh, I also got, we, I went to the Italian market one day and we needed to fill some space in the garden and they had tobacco plants for sale. So I, they were huh. like $2 and I bought those. They ended up growing like six feet tall, which was absurd. Whoa. But, oh, uh, I guess that's yeah. why so many people smoke cigarettes, huh? Yeah, that was the cash crop. It's just because yeah. it grows everywhere. <laughs> right, yeah, bountiful <laughs> plant. And you got yeah. all that stuff to take and, and it was all edible and all that? Yeah, yeah, we still have some. Uh, I draw, Actually, I made a little mushroom patch there too and did outdoor uh, mushrooms for the first time. I still have a bunch of those dehydrated in some mason jars. So what do you, so normally you were doing mushrooms in like, what, some kind of habitat inside? Yeah, and like a, a bag was the most way, the way that I would most do it. So it's kind of like, uh. yeah, it's like you'll see people or you get advertised. Well, I mean, I get advertised on Instagram, like uh, grow bags. It's basically you get the bag, everything's colonized. It's kind of a, you right. just have to hydrate it three times a day and then in a week or two it'll, it'll grow. So I basically made those. Yeah, we got one of these little boxes. Inexplicably, my three-year-old daughter is obsessed with mushrooms. Amazing. Um, and eats them all the time. And we got her one of those little boxes that you'd like just cut open and add the water and leave it. And mush- and mushrooms started sprouting in just a couple days. So cool. Pretty cool stuff. So what like uh, you're waking up in the in the morning. What's 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 your day like? How are you how are you going about it? All right, so so recently we're going. It's going this way. Did okay. not go this way for the entire pandemic. Sure. But I usually get up like uh, nine, ten. I like to stay up uh, really late. Uh, my caveat there, just so I don't sound like a scumbag for not getting up at eight a.m. And I doubt <laughs> there's any rules anymore. You don't have children, so you're you're still in the clear, man. It just yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So I get up at. Uh, you know, nine or ten. Go downstairs, have coffee, look at things on my phone for probably. Um, 20 minutes, half hour. I've been doing a, the one of the biggest changes actually is so I'll, I'll put my phone to charge overnight in a different room. That way oh, I don't look at I it while going to sleep. And it's not the first thing I see when I wake up, which is like, sure, you know, in a strange way, it really kind of ch- changes your psychology for the day. But then I yeah, fuck around right. on my phone for a little while, drink some water, uh, drink some mushroom extract. And then I will either do the bullshit of the day, like uh, emails or something like that, or I just get into, um, playing music for a couple oh, hours. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how's that for you? Like, are, are you just playing guitar? Like, what do you... I, I know yeah, you so guys I, just did the From Exile record, but how are you uh, going about creating at home? 
Totally. I uh, we we did from exile was an acoustic and like slightly electronic reworking of the record that we put out in the fall yeah. that we didn't get to we didn't get to tour on. But super um, cool and well done for like naming your out. Al- I mean, could you have set up naming your album any more perfect? I don't think so. No, there's something <laughs> yeah. definitely spooky going on. Yeah, with you kind of had like a real bleed American moment there. You know, <laughs> exactly. you guys dude. nailed it. Hell um, yeah, yeah, go on. <laughs> sure, but uh, so uh, I would. Uh, I had a problem at the beginning of the pandemic, or at least like the first half. Um, well, no, it was after we had recorded from Exile, where I just kind of thought of making music as a type of like work. Um, not right. even necessarily that it was laborious. I just didn't want to like emotionally confront playing for some reason. I didn't want to like, mm-hmm. oh, I, oh, I have to write a new record while I have all this downtime because that's that I have to. Like, there's no, there's no point. So I started to really, right? Yeah, like, what else am I gonna do? Yeah, exactly. So I started thinking of it as something negative. So um, I started mm-hmm. to think of it as, well, why don't you just play for an hour a day? That's real easy. You spend an hour, you know, looking up something to prove a point in like a group text message. So why wouldn't you just? play music (laughs) for that long so i started either guitar but recently i've been using ableton uh which has been so fun it's been like a a new way for me to look at creating music i had not really been exposed what is that what's ableton so Ableton's like a DAW, uh, you know, digital audio workstation that you'll people for who are not familiar, you'll hear people talk about Pro Tools or Logic or even GarageBand, some like Audacity, the, the free ones. Um, I had always used Cubase, I liked a lot, and then right. I switched to Pro yeah. Tools, you know, five years ago when I started doing some work um, in some studios and shit like that. But Ableton is like that; it's set up like a linear multi-track recording DAW. But there's also a second window that's kind of non-linear, and you actually create time-based sections. So I think of it as like hmm. drum loops, yeah. and then uh, it, uh, we don't necessarily create them there, but that's where you stack them and build them. So, so you it's can almost record. like the ability to like play along with someone while you're while you're creating. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's like yeah. building loops. Um, and yeah, I'd always yeah. written that way. I would always put a chord progression down and then loop it. And then write, you know, a lead over it, write vocals over it or whatever. But this is kind of like fundamentally builds a song like a sequencer. It's a lot of fun. Hmm. Isn't Ableton like also a little more sort of like drag and drop? It's not quite so timeline based, right? 100%. Yeah, that's that that second window especially yeah. is, is very much it's, so. And also there's like a lot of signal processing happens and it's been dummy proofed in some ways. Like I said, drag and drop. You could drag and drop a sample in and you can have it set up certain ways where it'll time stretch, pitch shift, those things very quickly and easily back when, if you want to do it, it'll do it more effectively in Pro Tools, but you have to be really like, you know, conscious of what you're doing right. and manipulate the clips. Whereas Ableton has it set up to be like, how can you make this as easy as possible? It doesn't necessarily sound as as pro as the other ones, but it makes it really easy for people to just make music. Yeah. You explain kind of the physical part of it, like that you are like, all right, I'm going to take this part of the day and we're just going to work on music like this. But when you have it in your head that you're creating songs for albums and you have that kind of pressure, what are you telling yourself to to take that pressure off or what changed for you that you were able to um, see it more purely as a piece of music and not like, you know, the pressure of uh, creating a finished Menzinger song or something like that? That's a really good question. And that was one of the things that was making it extremely difficult to sit down and start working. Right. Um, was the expectation of it went everywhere from I can't, what I imagine our fans, the Menzingers fans, liking this to would I be ashamed to show this to the band? You know, like uh, <laughs> right. all through yeah. that. Right. And then it got to the point after talking, 
you know, as most things in life, after actually talking to them and after actually talking to mm. uh, some close friends of mine that I that really believe in me, I'm really lucky to have a couple people like that. And that I was just like, oh well, it doesn't matter if I like it and it's fun. Like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen here? Someone thinks it's goofy. Like, they don't actually care. They're not going to judge me as a person and making making the music. So removing those expectations. Not fully. I don't, you know, that's, that would be absurd to be like, well, I'm just going to make whatever I want and fans can fuck off. But like to make, uh, you know, the expectation is, is, is lifted from that. So it's kind of like a, an open way to experiment. Yeah. I mean, we keep talking to other musicians about this and it keeps coming up time again. It's, it's once you get that support from the people you're playing with, right? It, it, it frees up your mind in so many different ways and takes away so many, insecurities you could potentially have just knowing that everyone's on your team, right? Absolutely. In fact, I, this year, especially I started realizing because we were removed from the, the, the present experience, like being in the presence of music, whether we're jamming together, uh, which we've not done much of, yeah. um, or doing the show. And that is that you are just people experiencing that music at the same time. It's like, you know, it interfaces with time in a way that changes how long you're perceiving the time. You know, like we think of a, an album as like a physical thing that you put on a record. Um, you, know, you take it, put it on the record player, you listen to it. For us, we think of it in like almost sometimes in commercial ways. We're like, all right, well, we have to write 12 songs that will be a record because that's what we trade for money that we then you know <laughs> right. buy all the other shit for. Yeah, but in reality, yeah. the music is that that moment being in the room with each other. Uh, right. And yeah, that really missed this year. And it's really kind of want to get back to that. <laughs> sure. I mean, Menzingers are such a, a live band, you know, you guys have always hit it pretty hard once you have songs. And maybe a couple months ago, Tim Barry was on here talking about how um, removing the expectation of playing the song live uh, actually freed up, you know, um, some avenues in writing the song. Did, did you feel that at all? Like, were you, are you in kind of a cycle where you imagine a Menzinger song and how it's going to play live? And did this give you the ability to get out of that at all? Yeah, definitely. Definitely more out of it than we've ever been before. Um, especially because we were limited from the jamming aspect of writing. So we had to de use right. the computers to share back and forth. And that I think inherently shakes you out of, the live part, at least for us, because we don't have a way to play keyboards live um, and 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 create those sounds at this moment. Um, but one of our favorite parts about writing the songs is are linked on moments that would happen live. So when we drop out for a chorus, the idea is like, damn, people would sing along right here while we're live, uh, or this is a great part that builds up and slams and gets the crowd moving, or we can change right. this already when we're live. And yeah, those all exist for sure, and those all dictate it, but he's totally, that's really relatable to what uh, he was saying in that you remove that expectation from playing it live and you kick open all kinds of creative doors. Yeah, for sure. And not to, not to be mistaken, I've made some like bad shit <laughs> with that in mind right now, but I think that's fun. <laughs> right. But not that need like, Hey, we got to get a breakdown in here somewhere. Got to get those people moving, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you seem really uh, like kind of clear and, and focused and well-intentioned these days out of curiosity. How is your, uh, how's your booze and drug intake these days? And, and is that, um, part, part of what I'm noticing? Uh, I would say for sure. That's a huge part of it. A massive part of it. I, uh, yeah. I stopped drinking a little while ago. Um, 
like a, like a month and a half ago, probably. Okay. And I had done many other periods of my life. I did tours uh, to help out friends in solidarity. I'd be like, well, I'm not going to drink with you on this tour. And then the last day of the tour, you know, you get you drink a 24-pack. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I had done periods of my life where I had abstained from Because, I mean, I realized that I've been drinking very regularly since I was 12, and I'm now 34. So I've been drinking for a lot longer than I wasn't drinking. Right. Um, and starting to realize as I'm getting older, body is not responding the same way that it was. Just the yeah. same story. Sure. Uh, yeah. And then Brad's there, just I, like, yeah. <laughs> he just leaned back in his rocking chair with his mint julep, <laughs> just chuckling. Hell yeah. But yeah, I've gone through def- different periods of drinking and not drinking. And now I'm in another period of not drinking. And, uh, you know, everybody has their own different rules and expectations and reasons. And there's so many weird opinions in almost religion, uh, religious aspects of like mm. the abstinence of, of alcohol. But How do you mean religious? Yeah. Well, people will look at it as like, I can't drink because I am either genetically or magically predispos- predisposed to be completely unable to do this. Mm. Uh, and that the only way i guess uh, uh, kind of manifests in the notion of surrendering to the higher power in that 12 step program right, which you sure. know i don't know much about i'm not well read on it or whatever i went to a couple a meetings with friends that were court mandated back in the day yeah um, like, same, oh, actually yeah. yeah right actually the first time i went to one of my one of my uh, next door neighbors was there and i just had no idea and he told this crazy ass story about like pickup truck and guns and like shooting it out with his cousin and stuff. And I was like, fuck, I had no idea that you had not. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the whole like giving up to the higher power, kind of like removing your own, um, agency, if that's even what it means, you know, I don't know, but that kind of stuff. Yeah. Exists for people. And even that kind of like, uh, you could almost see the way, you know, someone would have their, like their six o'clock drink is almost like their, you know, the sacrament to the day or like something like that. Those like rituals people 100%. use for, for booze too, right? Yeah, totally. Oh, I remember good, even man. when we went to Japan, you were the first person that told me about, because uh, you guys had gone to Japan. I remember sitting and talking with you extensively. We couldn't wait to go. We finally did go. But I remember finding a drink there called, a, uh, I think it's Senchai. Uh, no, that's a Muay Thai fighter. It's called a... <laughs> <laughs> a something close to that. It's like a yam... Wine, it's not sake, Sen- senchu maybe high, but it's like oolong tea mixed with that liquor. And there's a way to make it that is ritualistic. Like you take it, you turn it 13 times one way and then some other way. And I always thought it was interesting to take that ritual part into it. Yeah, yeah. Or like how they do absinthe in Europe with the, yeah. with the burning sugar cube. And the. I feel like I'm like being, um, I don't know, every time I do it at a proper bar or something, I feel like. I'm in one of those secret meetings, like a Freemason one or something. And I'm like, I'm about to see like some talking lamb who's going to give me the secrets of the earth after I take it. You know? yeah. um, but uh, so, you know, as you just mentioned, you and I have had a number of, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. You're one of my all time favorite tour conversations. Um, Hell yeah. Just someone you can like Honored. find yourself with outside and, you know, one person has a cigarette, one person has a beer, one person has a joint. And before you know it, you're like 90 minutes later, you just 
you know, <laughs> covered the annals of the universe. And you're like, fuck yeah, like Tom's fun, you know? Hell yeah. Um, well, but, I'm extremely honored that you say that. It's fucking awesome. And Ditto <laughs> goes back the other way as well. Thank you, sir. But, you know, so I know that there there have been times that you've been trying to like kind of disconnect in a lot of different ways from, you know, from yourself, from the music, from the scene, from a lot of different things, kind of this constant uh, movement that you have, you know, inside of yourself. And, and I was wondering, has the last year like confirmed or denied any of those like real suspicions you had about like yourself and people prior like has there any has it actually given you a little more like solid ground as far as mentally confirming or denying anything that you had thought beforehand yes absolutely uh internally i finally found a couple things that i had suspicions of before or were staring me in the face that i just hadn't embraced uh one of them the glaring one that we did just talked about is that at this point in my life at least for the last couple of years and probably the foreseeable future, uh, the management of my relationship with alcohol that has developed um, all these years and all these years of touring where, you know, that's a whole other thing that we could talk about. It's yeah. central, central kind of focus um, is not manageable. So right. that has been right. a thing I was curious about for a really long time. And that came glaring to the surface on several occasions. Uh, and the other one internally is that I've just been extremely curious uh, about everything always and right. that it's okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I don't right, like right. to, yeah. That, the, so the real revelation was that that's fine. Like it's totally okay. Like to just, being okay with being endlessly curious. Yeah. Like that's does a that, fun does part that of mean life. Like almost like uh, giving away the need to have like final solutions and 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 hard answers to things like that's it, it. That, giving up yeah. that quest yeah yeah that and quitting uh so quitting i was always <laughs> like you can't quit anything and i realized you can quit anything you want like yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> i might have a be really into a hobby for four or five years and then i'm not anymore you know like that's yeah, not it's right. totally fine sure. uh, before i just you know was like what's wrong with me why can't i just stick with anything Right, right, right. Um, yeah. And then for other people, I've realized that uh, it may seem counterintuitive, but I've seen so many people that I know peripherally and personally that have shined. Like it seemed that we, mm -hmm. we have this kind of like extreme um, divergence in the US. If you were to pay attention to kind of a lot of media and social media, that there's like two kind of groups that don't speak to each other in a lot of ways that I think that's really true. But that a lot of people are able to take care of their shit. And I really do have a lot more faith mm. and uh, trust in people this year than I, than I did before, even though a lot of the things that are magnified are people not wanting to participate by wearing masks and things like that. Right. Right. So you have seen, you've been able to kind of to catch the silver lining in, in other people's experience a little bit. Yeah, I used to think uh, maybe it was just me thinking I'm better or smarter. Or I'm the only one that's right, which is something I think we all return to. But I, I, sure. I think that people really are capable. I mean, it's been a couple hundred thousand years of people. You know, we went from the running around in the jungle to living in row homes next to each other in South Philadelphia, and people have been having kids the entire time and finding food. And you know, like people are capable of living uh, mm. in 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 intricate curious and and deep ways so in your experience now 
Now, how old are you now? You're 30, late 34. 30s? Oh, that's uh, yeah, it. Mid, sorry. mid 30s. Sorry, Tom. Sorry. But, I thought no, you were no a little old. I've been, I've been bald since I was 19. So <laughs> <laughs> bald and wise since you were young. Yeah, I just thought you were older. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that being said, with this not as vast experience as I thought, but fairly vast. Um, like, you know, there's a big difference between from the jungle to what we're living in. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's been like unsustainable parts of either. Like, do you imagine um, a way like the, the structure, What what is the ideal structure for people, groups of people, humanity to like live in? I fucking love that question so much, man. There's a there's this guy a book called Tribe. Uh it's uh-huh. written by a journalist named Sebastian Younger who wrote that movie about the fishermen that get up uh, the perfect storm. So oh, he wrote yeah, that book, yeah. but he wrote this book called Tribe, and the book is based off of he so I'm gonna uh, maybe I'll get this wrong. Hopefully I get it right. He had a mentor, this lady, this this lady was like a writer or whatever, and her husband was a, a, a Native American descent in the Northeast. And he would bring up the fact that Benjamin Franklin wrote something that said people run away from, I guess, assuming Philadelphia at the time, and join <laughs> with the uh, indigenous people all the time, like late teenagers, adolescents, and they don't right. come back or they don't want to come back. But no one ever leaves the um, tribal communities to come live in mm. the cities so right. he said that stuck with them for decades and then he wrote this book right. and that's the premise of the book is that we spent um so many years as groups of 50 or 60 people roaming around the natural landscape uh existing that way and that's like you can think that that evolutionary biology kicks into a lot of the ways that we behave like you don't want to be like the worst thing that you can feel in a lot of ways is ostracized you know you don't want to be cast out by your right. Sure. Um, peers, because that would have meant that you just died in the jungle. You get eaten right. by a fucking tiger. Or whatever. <laughs> um, and I think that that is a really kind of sets up a framework of some of the things that are missing today. Um, but some of the things that might, you know, like you don't have to worry about getting eaten by a tiger. And 500 people can accomplish a lot more than 50 people or 10,000 or a billion or whatever, you know? Right, right. Just, just with whatever focus we choose to use. So, So what do you think the breakdown was like, you know, if um, people who wind up in the society like ours obviously find faults with it and there obviously are faults with it, Mm -hmm. but, you know, without uh, mass destruction of the planet, we're not just jetting back to tribal society. Can you, uh, you know, like imagine um, how we could scale it back or how we could change it to, to get back to some sort of sustainable point like that? Yeah, I I think that if we our value system changed and we looked at ourselves, um, we had a different social dynamic, at least here in America or in the Western world that we've toured in, this obsession with like uh, status and fame and Mm -hmm. the way that we've been kind of manipulated and driven by the commercialization or the acquiring of goods and that that kind of stuff pushes us further away from each other. You know, like there's no, no one goes to church in the same way that they did uh, for the most mm. part. Uh, there's not really bowling leagues, you know, like I don't, I know my neighbors only because I made a conscious effort to right. talk to them and because they live five feet away. Like if I, there's no events that we go to, there's no yeah, like right. common experience necessarily holding us all together. And I think that 
within that tribal system, one of the benefits of it was that besides that you was, you know, by definition sustainable because you're just, you're not like destroying the planet uh, <laughs> is also that everyone was a valued member of the tribe. Like you had, right. you know, and this could be an over romanticization of the entire thing, but it, it seemed like people were happier or could be happier if we evolved to be that way. So like you didn't, you weren't lower. You didn't get beaten down because maybe you were better at some task than someone else was, or you were crucial to that. Right. That's right. Sometimes it's like, you know, when we're taught in school that the ability to farm and stay in one place and not rely on, you know, weather patterns as much and not rely on that stuff is actually like a good thing. And maybe it was the uh, the beginning of the end for us, you know? Totally. I actually just read another book about this guy or where this guy wrote about just the way we breathe. And oh. uh, there's a whole collection of skulls in, out in West Philly in the basement at, at the oh. UPenn anthropology uh, anthropology department and all the people have perfect teeth so they're like why do all these people from all over (laughs) the place have perfect teeth and it was because they had they think they're they they hypothesize that they didn't chew their food super soft before that like grain revolution you know like 10 or twenty thousand years ago so people's facial structures were actually supposed to be that way um, oh shit so our our teeth are falling apart now because we're not challenging them enough yeah, well, I don't. The, by the end of the end of the book, it was because we're not breathing through our nose. Was was oh. the, what they put forward? Oh goodness gracious! Yeah, all right. right, well, I guess I'm, I feel like I'm going to find myself tonight, like being like, all right, through the nose, through the nose. <laughs> what else am I doing wrong? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> well, anyone listening to this too, and I don't know if you've read it, I would recommend the book called Beyond Civilization by by Daniel Quinn, um, the same author who wrote Ishmael. And in that, oh, no that shit. yeah, in that book, he, I, I, exact, you know, same. Let's we can give ourselves a pass, Tom, because we're, you know, two dumb musicians talking about this. <laughs> or, you know, like, yeah, like I, I, I'm glad we agree on that. Then. Yeah, yeah, like you know, we're doing the best we can with what we're given. <laughs> but I believe the number in there was like, a, you know, he contested that that past a hundred thousand people, um, all these these tribal elements and the you know, parts of hierarchy and stuff that were developed were no longer possible. And that's when these new structures had to come in to start managing, you know, that many people. Uh, So, you know, I hate to play the Thanos' right card, but maybe we just need less people. Um, Damn. (laughs) I got to read that. Yeah, it's really good, actually, if anyone... It's it's short, too. Um, So quick read if anyone wants to get into that. So I have to ask this. We're not going to get into politics too much. But one thing I need to know is what's something you can tell me and the people about Joe Biden that we don't know because you're from Scranton? You got to have some kind of like a barber told you something. A Uh, middle school teacher told you something. What do you know? You know, I actually don't have a good anecdotal story. I was going to okay. go right with that, you know, something about cuisine, something about that. But <laughs> no, nah, I don't have anything too great. You know, he did, he did leave Scranton when he was 10 or 12. Oh, is that yeah, right? So, Fucking yeah. sellout. I didn't know <laughs> yeah, that. right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I actually, during the debates, uh, I actually own the domain um, Scranton versus Park Avenue. 
Because he had like said it in the middle of the debate and everyone was talking about it. And I was like, let me see if that's available. Because we were going to put this, we were like in the spirit of putting all kinds of shit online. And I just went and bought yeah. it on GoDaddy. So I can't wait to, to use that. I was hoping that he would make it a part of his, his campaign. Wow. Tom, uh, you're, you're in a unique position to spearhead the Scranton workers movement if you want. Exactly. Or I could just be cynical as fuck and just every time there's a new... Uh, you know, horrible transgression of 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 Joe Biden putting his fucking zombie uh, <laughs> lobbyists in his cabinet. And every time that they do that, I can just list it on the site in a bullet. Yeah, yeah, just bullet point style. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so I figured you might not have anything on Biden. So same exact question, but in regards to opening for Sublime and Offspring. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. Let's see. Um, some things that people would think was that you wouldn't expect. Offspring yeah. has a wardrobe, a giant wardrobe road case full okay. of all kinds of like spiky leather bracelets and shit that I did not uh, expect that to be a thing. Punk rock uh, so paraphernalia. Like in, in yeah, tow. punk rock paraphernalia. Uh, that was that was kind of cool. There was the hot sauce everywhere. So oh, Gringo oh. Bandito hot sauce. It's there good was just hot boxes sauce, of it. Though. It's worth it. Honestly, fantastic yeah. hot sauce. Okay, who makes yeah. that hot sauce? Someone Brian in Offspring makes it. The, the yeah the, the singer of uh, Offspring okay. has his own hot sauce. Not bad. And that shit was really good. Okay. Um, Sublime was reminiscent of all those old kind of videos that you grew up watching them in the sense that they had a a posse everywhere. Okay. Uh, there was always <laughs> yeah. just like a shit ton of people that were raging. It was just like your aunt. You know, I pictured me what it would look like if a bunch of my cousins were at a show. There's just people who looked very California and kind of sandy. Just like, and like getting wasted. Oh, okay, everywhere. okay. Yeah. Very, very sun baked. <laughs> yeah, very, very sun baked. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I didn't talk to the, the only one original member of Sublime, uh, Eric, the bass player. And I didn't speak to him, but he kind of moved in a, in a way that I would picture somebody who's been, you know, in that famous of a band their entire life to move. Right. He kind of was just still like to quote one of my best friends, Roger Harvey. He's clearly just steaming through steamrolling through the universe, waiting for people to hand him things. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So wait, does that guy, if he's the only original member, is he, does he own it? Like, is he the one collecting the checks on sublime? You know, it's unclear. Uh, Did a bass player pull that off? I, I, I hope to God. That would be uh, one of the great like rock and roll swindles of all time if the bass player managed to own Sublime. Yeah, that would be that would be amazing. Like respect, right? That would be. So we heard all kinds of things, but I thinking back on them, none of them are from any reliable people. We talked, heard that like um, the singer's wife owned a bunch, and that they hadn't toured up to this point because there was a issue between the rights of who owned what and whether or not they would be able to be performed or whatever. But I guess, so the guy, Rome is sublime with Rome. They, someone associated with sublime saw that guy playing at an open mic in San Diego and kind of grabbed right. him. And yeah, and he was cool. Yeah. He's cool, dude. He seems like he's got a pretty decent vibe. Oh yeah. I mean, he's like, that's like a movie story. You know, you're, you, yeah. you and I, uh, we've all been, and Brad, we've all been in the music industry for a long time now. And there's no, manager sees a guy at an open mic and then just gets <laughs> plucked and starts playing stadium tours on the first story. <laughs> it All is right. The movie. So while we're on this topic, I want to keep it on tour. 
and keep it uh, keep it fun. So, are you, you are you familiar with the segment of the program called Mystery Friend? I'm not actually. <laughs> So here's the part of the program where we're going to we're going to bait you a story, a story that actually happened. You were there. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, if you remember. <laughs> uh I would like you to regale us with the details of this story, particularly this one because it's really fucking funny. And you have to uh guess which mystery friend of yours told me this story. Okay. Okay. Now, apparently you're on a van tour you're uh, beginning a festival tour in a sprinter. You're heading to somewhere called the Punk Rock Holiday in Slovenia. <laughs> and you stay at a, a B&B in the beautiful Mountain Alps community of Treviso, Italy. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, and I heard something happened. Can you what? please kill me with the story of what happened here? Well, I all right. Well, I never thought that this story would ever be in any type of light. Good. Uh, so I can tell you what I can prove. Hey, we're oh, there. Hey, come on, you dealing conspiracies <laughs> all the time, Tom. That's true. That's I want true. at least Fuck. some conjecture to keep this fun. Okay. Okay. All right. All sure. Right. All right. So we're in this 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 picturesque mountain town. Um, we're just going to call it the Italian Alps. Because it probably okay. was uh, at a Airbnb where no one spoke any English. Uh, it was really cool. We were in this little town that nothing was open, uh, but they were extremely nice to us. They let us hang out. We went, uh, took a walk up to get some pizza from a place, uh, you, you know, because what else would all these Americans do? Go get pizza in Italy. And of we course. walked back to the Airbnb and each person got their own bottle of wine. Oh. Uh, so we each bottle of wine plus. So each gotcha. drank a, a full bottle of wine, somehow ended up down at a river. So there's like a, a river that ran next to it. Uh, I don't remember how we got there or why we were there, but I remember there was rocks that we were kind of like skipping and throwing around. Everybody was getting wasted and it was one of the most beautiful, um, <laughs> picturesque situations I've yeah. ever been in. And then we get back into the... Sounds pretty standby me. Yeah. Oh, it was very standby yeah. me. It was, it, was, it, was, it was really beautiful. And then it's just like... The, the the matriarch of the Airbnb is just this like picturesque Italian lady uh, with like a flowing floral print sundress uh, and just super kind face yes. and everything. It's so nice to us, like Sophia Loren, like so, exactly <laughs> like <laughs> Sophia Loren. Oh, I love and this. And we're sitting outside the Airbnb, and you know it's a European Airbnb in the Alps, so they everything's just kind of there's not really like protocol for anything. Everyone <laughs> right, just yeah. lives their life nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I decided, I'm like, shit, all right, well, I got kind of drunk. We had to sing tomorrow. Uh, that means it's bedtime. So I went in, went to bed. Some of the guys were out hanging out by the, um, there's like a picnic table of some kind out there. You know, there's maybe one other group of people, two other groups of people staying in this Airbnb. Okay. So before we go to bed, we're like in the t- typical way, like I said, there's no protocol. There's no locks on anything. Everything's open. We'd run out of booze and we were like, well. And everyone's had a bottle of wine to the head at this point. Yeah, at least a bottle of wine yeah. to the head. Yeah. Okay. Except for our tour manager. Uh, okay. Joseph Scott Bell, who does not drink. Gotcha. So 
that's it's probably so funny for him to see so many of these events that have happened over the years. <laughs> sure. But so the kitchen's open. So we're like, all right, well, we ran out of booze. We need more booze. We can go in and see if anybody's in the kitchen. So we go into the kitchen and no one's there, obviously. And we're like, all right, well, you know, we can take some booze and we'll just pay them tomorrow or whatever. Okay. It's not the first time that we did that. It wasn't the last time. So go in. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I got I to gotta go to bed. So then at 7 a.m., I want to say, uh, wine hung over. My shit's like thrown on the floor. I went to bed. Top of the fucking world. Bunch of dudes <laughs> from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Grew up around Italian culture and food. There's a lot of uh, Italians that came to Scranton and were coal mines. It was like the most romantic notion ever. We're in the Italian Alps. We somehow made it. Yeah. Uh, 7 a.m., Greg's like... Heck of a night. Heck of a night. Heck of a night. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. And a high note. Kick, the, kick your jeans on the floor, whatever. I was in a room <laughs> with Greg. So Greg... At like 7 a.m., Greg's like grabbing my shoulder and he's like, don't say anything. And I'm like, what? So he wakes me up. He's like, yo, we got to go. And I was like, fuck that. There's no fucking way I'm getting up right now. <laughs> Why would we possibly have to go? You're just freaking out about something. This is bullshit. And he's like, no, we need to go. So I grab my shit and we sneak out of this fucking Airbnb and we get, I get to the car. I'm the last one to the van. Everyone's in the van and everyone's got that like faced forward, oh. really angry look on their face situation uh -huh. kind of going on. Uh -oh. And I was like, oh, fuck, what is this shit? And they're like, go, 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 go. So we get in the van <laughs> and we drive away. And then behind the seats, there's all kinds of like animal fucking legs. Not an animal <laughs> leg, literally, but like a, like a big old piece of fucking prosciutto. There's like cases of soda that we don't drink. There's like just apparently the, the everything went insane at the end of the night, and there was a a trail of destruction that was left behind us in the in the twilight. <laughs> oh. oh my goodness! So who who do you know now in hindsight who was who was doing the ransacking? Like how you got yeah, I, that much stuff? I mean, I have an idea. <laughs> This sure is where was, we go for conjecture. What, Come conjecture on, about yeah. what happened while you were asleep. Come yeah, on. what do you think? Yeah, well, <laughs> so what I think happened was they got into a situation, got a couple wine guts going, you know, and we're like, I bet you'll do this. I bet you won't. And then. <laughs> Are we talking that, about Joe and Eric here? Well, <laughs> I actually don't know. I only remember one, and, I, and okay. I, it was Joe. <laughs> <laughs> With a last name like that, I'm sure he had some. Extra Italian balls, you know? He's like, I'm here. Exactly. Yeah. He, he was coming to get the back taxes. That's what his <laughs> whole, whole thing was. But he, uh, uh, so I, I don't know exactly what happened, but I know that everyone was the most angry at Joe. So, <laughs> right. And he was like, you know, kind of the, just everyone was really, really pissed. And then we didn't really talk about it. But then that was actually what came about uh, the song that we have on After the Party called Thickest Thieves is, is, kind of inspired by that incident and then just being in Europe in general. The great Treviso heist. Yeah, the great, yeah, the great heist of Treviso. <laughs> so I was told some extra details about this. Well, what happened while I was so, sleeping? So the person who told me this story said essentially the same tale as you, but they were awoken by Joe. <laughs> and apparently Joe was the one who woke up like first thing in the morning, terrified, <laughs> realizing what happened and needed to get out of Treviso. So I think <laughs> covered in blood. Yeah, covered in blood. Covered so in blood. Just, you know, covered in grapes. <laughs> I watched a little Law and Order. Okay, I just know Joe. He's he did it. He did it. Yeah. If that if he's the one waking people up in the morning, 
He did it. Like, that's I know a good point. Sure. If he's the one waking people up, he's probably, probably yeah, the one. I heard, I heard there was a case of Corona. Okay. that <laughs> I heard there was a case of Corona. I heard the there, only case of Corona in Italy. Yeah. I heard there was a case of Lipton iced tea and I heard there were a number of giant Italian salamis, like the <laughs> kinds the- that like hang up in delis, like. Yeah, there was one that looked like the kind that my neighbor hung in the basement. It was like wrapped in a thread. I forget. It was Lipton iced tea. That's I remember seeing whatever soda or whatever it was and being like, I don't think I've ever seen anyone in here ever drink one of these. And there's a cool case of them. Yeah. Yeah. This person also said that some of the salamis were just like gnawed on the top. Like like rats got to it. (laughs) Someone sat on one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what is That's fun. That is fun. All right. So any uh I'm sure there was only a few few people there that could have could have seen this story. You want to take a guess on who who regaled me? Yeah, so I'm trying to think about whom uh Joe would wake up if they were the first that's the key there. The only clue I had was that that was the person mm-hmm. that Joe woke up. So I'm gonna have to say it was Joseph Scott Bell. Yeah, yeah, it was Scotty, of course. <laughs> I had to go to oh, the yeah. straight edge guy to get this story. Was, <laughs> you did. So you got the clear I, story. I got as so well. many more details than you could have offered me because I oh, hit yeah. Scotty up. He, uh, he, he, I hit him up early this morning. He's like, oh, I got this one. I got this one. This time Tom rented like an electric car in the Netherlands. Ah, it's okay. <laughs> and then, and then like, I, I give him the like 90 minute check where on he's like, oh God, Treviso, this is the story, you know? Yeah. That's, that's the story. Oh, uh, it is beautiful up there. It is. It really is. It could, yeah. I don't know. Something about, I, I remember a time that like the first time I wound up in Switzerland when I was like 20 years old, I was in a hostel. It was like this weird snowy night and I had absinthe and just went around this town, like ghost riding weird people's bicycles and like really causing a stir. It's, there's something about yeah. just being lost in these magical North pole looking places, you know? And I think it feels 100%. a little, uh, your, you know, maybe your reality gets a little, a little messed up. Well, yeah, I mean, you have nowhere to go home to, essentially. Uh, and right. I think that one yeah. of it also is there's everything is the same, but it's subtly different. You know, the same speed. It's not the same species of grass. So I think that you um, subconsciously kind of smell that, or like the plants look a little bit different. The bird is slightly off, you know. So it kind of just creates like a whole, like uh, you're just not where you're used to for sure. You know how like uh say you're like eight hours into a drive on like a drive day, and by like the seventh hour, you're driving in a way, you're driving like a trucker, because you're basically like, This is my highway now, you know? Oh yeah. I've been on here so long. This is mine now, and you gotta you you you're on my rules now. And I feel like yeah. when you get to that point of tour in a place like that, you kind of forget that like the world isn't yours sometimes. You know what I mean? It's easy to lose that sense where you're just like, I'm in this place. I feel this way. I'm so like perpetually confused about where I even live and where I sleep that everywhere you go is yours. You know, it's like easy to get into that strange headspace, right? 100%. And I think maybe what you're getting at, there's that, that control, like you said, a control. Like you get, you have to you get to a point where you just can't in control or you can't (laughs) you have to acknowledge that you're not in control so it just becomes easier you're just like well whatever happens to me happens to me i guess you know like that guy's doing this fucking weird thing this guy's you know yeah giant salami or not this is gonna go down (laughs) exactly (laughs) 
All right. Well, speaking of <laughs> perceived realities and things like that, I know you took a trip to the famed Area 51 in I October. Did. Yeah. And uh I'd really love to know what what that experience was like. Like why I mean, I know you're into it, but what exactly, you know, was the impetus for making the trip? What were you looking to find out or see or um and and how was it? Sure. Yeah, so it's about 2 hours plus uh away from Las Vegas. Okay. So we had a for over a year a trip planned to Las Vegas for a couple of days for a small wedding. Some friends were getting married, and the pandemic happened, and we were like, "Well, we're not going." And then as the summer went on, and the before the second wave had come, and things were starting to get easier, more manageable. We all started to learn how to maintain distance from each other, getting more information as to what works and what doesn't work. And it was getting closer to October. And we're like, all right, well, there's, you know, a half a dozen people at this uh, wedding that's going to be outside. We're fucking going. We've been here this entire time. So we go and we check it out with the intention of on one of the days, we take an extra day and go to Area 51 and record a kind of podcast story about it. So we get to, we're in the, the, the hotel. Which was the Bellagio, which a, the casino, Las Vegas in a pandemic is a weird fucking place. Oh, it's already yeah. a weird place, as sure. we all know, but it was extra weird. It's 3.30 in the morning, people just, you know, uh, surrounded by plexiglass while they're playing cards. And it's just kind of like, yeah, not changed that much. Sure, it's already, it's already potentially like one of the creepiest places on earth like a casino at 3 30 in the morning so, so wait a minute i didn't so i didn't think they so they've they tried to continue business with like plexiglass shields and things like that yes this was in i would have to look at exactly what was going on but this was like in a a goldilocks time frame of going so right. it had been opened up again um maybe in july or august and they were testing all these things and then before and then the second wave had come and then so it's like you can only use every other slot machine or something <laughs> Uh, yeah, they actually had moved most of the slot machines so that they were six feet apart. Um, and there's funny as you know, Las Vegas is a place where people go to be so wild and, and debaucherous. That's like their marketing thing. The social control on part of like security personnel and stuff was so fast and like mm. wild. Like anybody, anybody who was acting a fool immediately was prevented from acting acting a fool. It was, right. it was pretty pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, I guess there are a few places that are more tightly policed right than than a casino itself yeah. like a casino floor yeah exactly they were like you know there's like no asking a second time kind of situation right yeah. uh, and also didn't while we were there didn't see much we also didn't really leave the room much uh besides to to to, to go to the wedding and go to area 51 yes yeah, so you get down to rent a car and i tell the guy at the the car rental desk i was like yeah we're gonna drive out to area 51 and he's like oh well in that case you probably want this car and it was like an suv so i was like oh well thank you you don't think it's weird that we're gonna we're gonna do this <laughs> Um, I do have to say that I do think the Area 51 is a little bit of a red herring kind of situation for everything that came out regarding um, the UFO phenomenon in 2020 and the last couple of years. Area 51 does float to the bottom of like uh, float down to the bottom of like what is what we should be paying attention to, in my opinion. But it is like, you know, a pop culture kind of place. Sure. Um, So driving out there is as it is driving in the desert. Super weird, always, when you first get back in the desert. You're like, holy shit, this is so strange. You just drive on this really small highway, 
to where what was essentially just made to test bombs. Uh, <laughs> right. we, you pass a giant landfill, and then you get into these like little ranching places, uh, and that's all you see for several hours. And then eventually you get to the extraterrestrial highway sign, which is what they designated. You know, it's that <laughs> right. highway where all the famous UFO researchers used to meet up at. Mm-hmm. And there's stickers, and there's a couple other tourists that are parked there, like millennials that were on road trips and like uh, Winnebago's and shit. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah, and there's just the sky is so massive and weird. And then you get to the UFO research center, where I don't think they do much research. It's just like a gift shop. You know, it's like a, <laughs> right. a yeah. giant UFO in a, a, parked up on a hill. And I asked, and the is lady, that actually like funded by the government, or is that like a private business? That's a private business for sure. It's just like a, an opportunistic rancher. Yeah, all right. Um, Very smart, but thank goodness. Yeah. Oh yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> uh, they, they uh, d- there's it's all open ranches. So right. I think of where we drive. You see, you know, in like middle of New Jersey and Pennsylvania, you see cattle and stuff that are fenced in. This is open ranches where there's no fences. So there's just cattle, not everywhere, but everywhere. So there's like like one cattle that's like a mile away. Yeah. Yeah. So we saw one that was like banged up, like had been dead for days on the side of the road. And that was super weird and pandemic y. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So we asked the lady at the front desk, I was like, well, how do you get to actual Area 51? She's like, just drive up this far, look for a road on your left that looks like it's going into the sky, and then drive there. Whoa. So that's just what we did. We just kept the odometer on, drove to this road that goes looks like it's going to the sky, and then you get off the highway and you're just on a dirt road for it was something like twenty miles. It was really Wait, fucking far. What's the road to the sky? Like, what do you mean? It looks like you know how the 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 heat and light starts to get distorted and like there's yeah. like a prism effect yeah. that's the road just looked like it just went up into the mountains wow know? okay yeah it was it was cool and it, uh, there's not a lot of people taking this road like it's it's pretty desolate it, yeah but we did see one car probably i mean i don't know how to tell the distance there probably 10 miles ahead or five miles ahead and you can see because it was like a, a trail of dust being kicked up kind right. of like in like way way farther out um so yeah, we we drove on that road forever. We just kept going. We're like, all right, well, we have enough gas to get back. Thank God. So we'll just keep going. Uh, and eventually that car passed us on the way back. And the guy, it was like two guys in the front seat just kind of like waved to us. I'm like, all right, so we get up, we keep going, keep going. Then you start to see a couple signs here and there. One of the signs is like, uh, says, um, it, it just outlines what happens to you if they tell you to leave and you don't. It was like, okay. you're going to take your car. We bring you to the nearest town. That's like 60 miles away. We arrest you, we charge you. The the judge arraigns you the next morning and then you have to figure out how to get back to Vegas or whatever. Okay. We're going to arrest <laughs> yeah. you and leave you in the desert. If, exactly. If you That's basically yeah. what it said. <laughs> cool. Um, okay. But this is clearly somewhat of a touristy kind of thing because other yeah. people had, had, had gone. Like we saw a guy who passed us on the way back and then you get up there and you go over a hill and it's basically the furthest you could get. There's like a, a fence and a perimeter and stuff and like a gateway off of the distance. But then on a hill next to you, probably about, 200 yards away, a pickup truck pulls up mm-hmm. and it's just like an all white pickup truck and a bunch of dudes wearing all black with guns get out <gasps> and they just open the doors and they like walked to the edge of the hill and they just stared at us. And uh, so there's just like, apparently so I looked it up online, apparently they're some kind of private contractors. Yeah, they're that are, private. Camo dudes, yeah. right? Isn't that what they call them? Uh, yeah, they call them camo dudes. Yeah. Um, so we just kind of stared at them for a while. And that's a that's like a private that's one of those like privately contracted security companies, right? Like some Blackwater shit. 
Yes, yeah, it's some Blackwater shit. I mean, who knows? Maybe it is Blackwater. That's weird. Yeah, so it's yeah. some some private contractor shit, which makes it all darker. You know? Yeah, even it makes it all weirder because sure. they're not uh-huh. subjected to the same transparency or exactly. anything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my fiance, God lover, is gone now. Four or five hours into the desert with me to go to Area Fifty One. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we turn around there and we start heading back. We start to see. So instead of, we wanted to drive to the town where Area 51 is. So there's this town uh, called Rachel and it is not a town, but it's in the opposite direction of going back. So we had to continue to go. So we cut across this thing. We ended up finding the Black Mailbox, which is a super famous meetup spot for George uh, Nori and Arbel and those guys when they were doing all their UFO research in the 90s. They would meet up at this, this Black Mailbox. So what, well, I don't know the history of that. Who, who, what was the purpose of the Black Mailbox? It was a place where people who lived locally would take the journalists to go and see the test flights and shit. So they'd meet oh, up there because it was the only okay. thing that you could, there was no, you know, none of those businesses that existed or anything. So it was the only structure that they could meet up at Cool. Okay. Uh, to then get taken there. And we started started to see the hills have eyes kind of people around, you know, yeah. like <laughs> started to see like, because you can see a car door open from fucking miles away because there's just nothing and the, the yeah. sun shines off it. But we got out of there and then we went to this little town, Rachel, where they have the little alien, which was really cool, really charming. It was yeah. just like any VFW uh, <laughs> style bar restaurant with like, you know, cheeseburgers and fries and then just sure. a bunch of pictures everywhere. And I met there was but there was some weirdos there, some weird people. God, you know, God love them. But they were very bizarre painters and shit. <laughs> There's one guy who walked up to us and he's like, where are you from? I was like, Phil, he's like, I went there once when I was 18. I went to go see uh, Van Halen. And I met a girl and I stayed there for six months and then I left and I was like, that's cool. Oh, the spectrum will do that to you, buddy. Yeah, spectrum will do that to you. He just lived in the parking lot of the spectrum for six months. Yeah. <laughs> but all in all, it was really cool. And talking to people who were there, were, it was really fun. And they have a, uh, they actually have a, a, a big time capsule out front that was donated by the film crew of Independence Day. And oh, it has cool. this uh, cool quote. I wish I had the quote in front of me. Uh, cool quote on it. And then they're going to open that in like 2024 or 2044. I forget, but kind of neat. And then you just drive back. So is there anything you learned <laughs> uh, from, yeah. from this experience that you were hoping hoping to? Yeah, it, it made it uh, spatially. Like there was a spatial awareness that came with it. Like I, I now know... What the perimeter, like if you look at the map of Area 51 and S4, it's bigger than you could, you know, bigger than you would ever imagine. Just like going up to the part that the set, like the black mailbox and that gate that's there were the closest were that people could get. So just seeing and knowing that's where so many TV specials and documentaries were filmed and so many places where the journalists had first learned about the test flights and, you know, just knowing that they did that testing there and the, um, the famous incident where, Edgar Mitchell had seen a, uh, uh, a had experienced a UFO incident while doing some test flying. Was in that giant section of the desert. You know, so stuff like that okay. was really cool. Yeah, yeah but I yeah. mean, it was t- totally just as as like tacky as you would imagine. <laughs> right, right. Like the the Graceland of like of uh, aliens. <laughs> kind of <laughs> calling it the Graceland of aliens is that's perfect. Is it? <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted to get some mugs and shit. You know. I yeah, really yeah. Wait, all right. So I found the plaque for you. It says. This is what's written on the time capsule in Rachel. It says, on the 18th day of April AD 1996, 20th Century Fox hereby dedicates this time capsule and beacon 
for visitors from distant stars to the state of Nevada and the extraterrestrial highway. This time capsule will serve as a beacon to be opened in the year AD 2050, by which time interplanetary travelers shall be regular guests of our planet Earth. Love it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so super I cool. love the fact that Will Smith had something to do with this too. You know, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. You know, yeah, like, really. Yep. Jeff Goldblum, like, man. Yeah, if aliens are going to come here and we could have one spokesman for this planet, I, I mean, Jeff Goldblum would be on my short list. He, he may be proof of uh, that aliens have visited, dude. <laughs> or, yeah, or are <laughs> us? Yeah. yeah, he might. Yeah. So, all right. So you you mentioned quickly the caveat that area 51 was now at the bottom of the list after the, uh, the things we learned in 2020. So, so in your estimation, what, what's risen to the top of the list? That would be the, um, the, uh, um, UAP program. Uh, there was a program within the Pentagon that they had said didn't exist. Uh, that was unexplained aerial phenomena, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So the big thing that happened this year was in April. There's a video uh, called the 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 gimbal footage. So it's like uh, this Tic Tac UFO uh, taken from a fighter jet that was released in like 2017. And in April of this year, while the world was on fire, uh, the Pentagon announced that it was real. So they authenticated the footage. So Mm -hmm. it was featured in the New York Times in like 2017, again in 2020. And them saying, yeah, this is, this is what we have is a, is a big deal. Um, was, was pretty fucking cool. There's also some testimony that came out this year and some people, there's a memo that's kind of like complicated to explain. So I don't, I don't, I don't want to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, regarding a visit that a guy had with a, a extremely high up general. Um, but the, the big things are definitely realize or like the announcement that that footage was correct. And then people like Senator Harry Reid coming out and saying the all kinds of crazy shit that they know about what their experience in the government and also actually written into the, um, federal omnibus spending bill that the COVID, the most recent COVID relief package is a part of is a uh-huh. 180 day, a clause that the Pentagon has to release the rest of the information it has from that program within the next 180 days, which expires Whoa, in July really? sometimes. Yeah. I know that those videos had, had surfaced, you, you know, well before the, the Pentagon confirmed it. Mm-hmm. Was that one of those things in, in the community of people who pay attention to this, that like until they confirmed it, it could have very easily been doctored or had people believe these to be true prior to that. Uh, Yeah. Definitely. Like it could have been doctored or fake or, you know, and then there's, you could get really into the weeds where it's not that great quality. Like there's better quality that does exist. Um, One of the most recent things is they're off of the coast of, um, I think Long Island. They, there's a a pilots who got cell phone pictures of a triangular uh, craft that apparently are really clear and really wild and they haven't released those yet, but they did release a real shitty cell phone picture recently. So it's kind of, you know, you could get into all kinds of conjecture and speculation as to why things are released and what the motivations are. But the, the fact of the matter is that there's a bunch of fighter pilots that are like, I wish that I could release my photos. Right. Right. Now. So we've talked about this before and we talked about it a lot in the last one, basically your thoughts about aliens and, uh, if they exist, you know, blah, blah, blah. We got into it a lot. The one thing I I heard you talking about on something else I wanted to ask you about, I thought was cool 
I heard uh, an episode you did of your podcast, which I want to talk more about too. Um, but it was a story you and Joe were talking about, about like an alien ship that came down in South Africa and like was playing flute (laughs) and a bunch of (laughs) kids in the schoolyard heard it. And apparently, you know, the messaging was to, you know, help the planet. But the, the thing I found really interesting that I never heard you, you said that this was part of, um, like a subsect of these, uh, visits called experiencers and, Mm -hmm. and that there's like, um, a history of like a telepathic kind of communication that happens. Do do you, do you believe that that's like a real way that they're potentially communicating? And if, if you believe that, do you believe that we're capable of like telepathic communication among humans? You know, so I always tried to, didn't always try. I always steered away from things like abduction stories and uh, kind of those like really difficult to believe um, first person experiences that people have or the only evidence is the anecdotal evidence of them saying that they were there. Right. Uh, So that's because that's like, you know, fodder for kind of making everything look really stupid and then kind of the serious inquiry and studies is sidelined and, you know, made, made to look foolish. But this one in particular, there is a Harvard professor who went down and interviewed all the kids because he, he, it was serendipitous in that he had had to, he had, he already was there for a different reason um, in, in South Africa, but he goes and he speaks to these kids. It's called the aerial school incident. There's actually a great documentary that came out this year called the phenomenon that has a, a bunch of, good coverage on the aerial school incident. So there's these kids at a school in South Africa and they all see a craft and then they see beings that are like bipedal humanoid looking people or whatever by the beings that they spoke to them or message to them in their minds without sound. Right. Um, And the guy went down to research it and came out saying, yeah, these kids believe that what they saw is what they saw. So, you know, you don't have a video of it, obviously, but it's so like, he's not saying it's consistent. true, but he's confirming that they truly believe at least what they think they saw. 100%. And I guess yeah. that's like, all you can really empirically sure. ask for yeah. in the end. Right. It's like that, that they believe it. Yeah. Um, and then they, they finally brought them back together to reunite and their stories are the same and they still feel that they had experienced the same thing. So that, as, that, adults. Uh, as adults, yeah, huh. as adults. And they went and they have all the like drawings that they drew separately. They're all showing very similar events, you know? So that's like the first part. Do I believe that it, it has happened? I, I'm not sure. So I don't fully believe it, but I think it, you know, very well could have. Right. But I do believe the second part, like when you said, can we um, communicate telepathically? Maybe not necessarily telepathically, but at some part of the way that consciousness interfaces with matter and energy, I feel like we still don't fully understand yet. And that mm-hmm. there, I've had too many spooky experiences myself where uh, thoughts or messages or, you know, even something as, as could be, it, maybe it's just a giant coincidence, but you think about somebody you haven't spoken to in six months and then they immediately text you yeah. uh, with something sure. that connects the two of you together. That's happened to me too many times to where you know, my your mind's looking for patterns. Maybe that's just what right. it is. Sure. But uh, I just feel like there's too many instances and too many stories passed down by my family that I'm like, something else is going on here. So I do think that maybe it, it I don't think it's like a, a 1950s sci-fi telepathy kind of situation. Right. But, you know, even if you're just like, I don't know, smelling 
a fucking magnetic change in pheromones or something like something that would be really sterile and boring. I just do think that it, uh, it, it does exist. Do you think that, you know, uh, more so than telepathy, it could be, you know, like, like you just mentioned that, you know, collective of like family experience and things over a hundred years, like maybe there's something, you know, internally speaking to you without being, it, um, you know, without being so, so defined as, you know, like you said, like Professor X, like talking in your head or something like more of an yeah. impulse than an actual direct thing. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's, I think it could be like, you know, who knows the, just to go back to some of those anecdotes, like how many times have you felt something weird, looked over and you saw that somebody was staring at you? You know, it's like uh, <laughs> right. those kind of little, those little things. Like who knows if there's a really simple explanation for that. But as you're saying, passed down, that's something I found super interesting recently. A good friend of mine was explaining it to me. Uh, and I started to read a little bit more about it. And that is epigenetics. Like uh-huh. the idea that um, the experiences, um, it's usually framed in my experience as a negative thing. So like the yeah, fact that, right. you know, all of my great grandfathers almost died of black lung. So like that, those experiences that they had of that extreme physical hardship and whatever suffering, it could genetically be passed down to me in the form of the genes being shaped and changed before they're passed on. So yeah, I think that right. those whole notion of like the ancient memory that exists within us could totally someday be measured more clearly and uh, yeah. see what kind of effect those things have. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally believe. I mean, simply in the fact that people are like, oh, why can Jewish people be paranoid? Well, I fucking wonder, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, just might be in here a little bit. Maybe, you know? yeah. Sorry. Um, Maybe there's some kind of genetic reinforcement there. Yeah, potentially. Speaking yeah. of your last name, I, I went in to do, I like to have some fun facts if I can get them, you know? And I, I came up with two fun facts for you in this episode, Okay. I love it. Hell yeah. So the only other May I knew of in my head was Brian May, who I love very much. I'm a big Queen fan. So Hell yeah. I'm sure you're not related, but two fine guitar players. One has excellent hair. One, not as much. I'm you sorry. Know, he's also a, uh, a rocket scientist. I do know that. Yeah. Pretty badass. Which makes sense. Once you hear the guitar parts, you could see them <laughs> being written as a rocket scientist. You know? <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. So, but I'm getting into it, and one name stand, stood out to me. Daniel Boone, the famous gunslinger, was actually Daniel Boone May. No kidding. Yeah, so, so that dude was one of yours. And listen to this quote, okay? I found this in a quote. He was, he was reputedly the fastest gun in the Dakotas when he was alive, Daniel Boone May. And he had the reputation that, in quotes, his corpses were invariably those of undesirable citizens, never of the law abiding. <laughs> I mean, the guy died like 200 years ago. That is a cool quote to be on Wikipedia, man, you know? Yeah, like, that's pretty fucking badass. If not yeah. only be remembered 200 years later, but that's who you're remembered for, being exactly. like a you know, like, vigilant gunslinger. Yeah, like I'm on wax <laughs> killing undesirable citizens. I also have to wonder, like, who did he decide was undesirable in those times? Uh, there could have been many law abiding citizens that he considered undesirable. Right. Yeah. So exactly. But let's not cancel Daniel Boone may now, you know, <laughs> not yet. Yeah. yeah. Not while uh, we're still having the podcast and right. we still share the name. Yeah. We'll get him later. We'll get him later. Yeah. And then he probably was one of the like Alamo guys, you know, it's probably a whole bunch of whole mess of shit around there. Some I mean, of those undesirables he killed probably, 
you know, were uh, Indians and yeah, like, exactly. you know, Chinese immigrants. And exactly. Shit. That's why I'm not willing to give them a clean pass. God knows <laughs> no. what those what those guys were up to in the frontier two yeah, years right. ago. Different set of rules, perhaps. Yeah. Um, I bet they stole a lot of salamis. <laughs> they stole so much salami. <laughs> well, yeah. And then another interesting one I found is like, obviously, you know, your name, the Menzingers, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's asked you a thousand times where it comes from. I'm not into that. But did you know that there are a lot of people with that as a last name? And on Ancestry.com, you can find... Over 185 census reports, 100 immigration, and 550 military conscriptions of people with the last name Menzinger. Wow. I did not know that. Well, I knew that was a One time we were doing an interview and the guy goes, uh, he goes to Greg, you know, in that very typical German fashion. He's like, why do you name your band after a Bavarian family name? And that was just like, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> there's also a, a nice restaurant in Bavaria somewhere called uh, Menzinger's. Uh, but oh, I had no idea okay. there were so many Americans with the name. Oh, there's also a town in Switzerland called Menzingen, and someone who's mm-hmm. from there is called a Menzinger. And some kids from there came out and gave us like their local uh, soccer team's jersey and shit like that. that ah, cool. there you go. You guys should yeah. do a uh, a yearly showcase in that town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah? It's interesting you're bringing that stuff up too. My sister actually just get, got at me this morning with a bunch of. Uh, genealogical information from the other side of my family, which is, Ooh, which is pretty anything, uh, yeah. anything fun come up or not fun. I know it can be a weird road to go down. Yeah. Right. Just like, yeah, she got a DNA test and turns out my uncle is a serial killer. Not, <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. It's not that, but it's, uh, the Abdallahs, which are, that came over from Lebanon. Uh, so it turns out that the name was different. It was like Basim something, okay. but it was like someone's son of Abdallah. So they just broke down Abdallah and that was, that was that. And they came from a part of uh, Lebanon, which is, I think, Syria today. That was all the things we learned yesterday. All right. Yeah. So, so you got a big year ahead of you. And I saw that uh, one of your goals for this year, the Future Friday podcast, is that you are attempting or not attempting. I'm sorry. A man of your word. You were going to make 52 episodes and make it a weekly podcast. Is is this yeah. uh so what's the vibe? What are you going for? Yeah, man, I'm super excited. I uh had wanted to do it. I you, know, you ever notice how a lot of podcasts of the world is just kind of like an elephant graveyard in a lot of regards where there's a lot of like <laughs> ones that are started and then they die and then disappear. And I'd always wanted to really make it a regular thing. And it brings me an immense amount of joy. Um, but I put too many expectations or just didn't focus and realize that it's a lot easier than I thought it was. And I just really want to keep it going as like a, a outlet and a kind of, uh, well, I'm also going to change the format randomly. And I have a couple of things that we'll be putting out soon. It's just an, an outlet that is only mine and has no real skin in the game. Like it doesn't, necessarily have any measures of success well and more importantly it, it has no measures of failure so as right, long as i just sure. put it out it's fun for me and i really enjoy it so i'm going to try to do it and then if i don't like it after 52 weeks then i'll know that i didn't like it uh, so. what uh what kind of stuff are you planning on or, or is this a secret the kind of formatting stuff you're trying to do no, I'm soaked. I got it. So the Area 51 episode is going to come out uh, very soon in the next month, hopefully, awesome. uh, which is we took a recorder with us. I'm just going to I took some questions from friends. And I'm just going to tell a little story about what it was like to go there 
and come back and splice in some of the audio while we were there. And it's a lot of fun for me to kind of create that story and tell like a an accessible story about Area 51 because I find it really interesting. Yeah. And then uh, some other ones. So a bunch of the guests I had on, I asked them all the same questions um, in the beginning and I recorded those questions. I'm going to put each question out as an episode. So one is a, right. uh, I'm talking to someone about hangovers and it's just everyone recounting their worst mm. hangover. Uh, one's about scams. And then, yeah, it's just a couple things like that. I also want to tell a couple old legends of what happened in Scranton and go and interview some of the people that were involved with it. I think it's a, it'd be a lot of fun. And then hopefully when the pandemic's over, I'm going to do one with my dear friend, Bobby Barnett, Greg's brother, uh, called Bob and Tom trip, where we're going to go Northeastern Pennsylvania. And I'm not sure how, what it's like where you guys grew up. There's so many festivals. There's so many little community neighborhood events and Mm. some of them are so weird and wild. We want to go kind of record those and then and make episodes out of them. There's a rattlesnake festival somewhere. <laughs> In like, Pennsylvania? Yeah, it's a, only a legend. I've never, you know, I don't know anybody <laughs> who's been, but apparently like an hour and a half outside of Scranton, there's a rattlesnake festival where they go and catch a bunch of rattlesnakes and they bring them to the festival and everybody, I'm just going to assume, gets drunk and then they like, I don't know, do something with the rattlesnakes. So there's rattlesnakes in western Pennsylvania? Uh, yeah, we're in, in eastern Pennsylvania. Oh. Yeah, they go over that. in New Jersey. They're, they're yeah. all the, I've, I've never seen one. Um, I had no yeah, idea. we've got them. I just saw a fox this morning. Whoa. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, That's anyway. not a snake, though. You know that, Benny, right? <laughs> I do. I once, funny, funny antidote to that. I one time, uh, my first road trip without a band was going across country with my friend Evan uh, in his Hyundai accent to go camping in the, uh, the Badlands and Glacier National Park and do a pretty hardcore camping trip like that. And we had decided early on, we're like, you know what? We're not going to bring weed. Let's do this thing clear. We're going to take it all in. And then, you know, we're in like Indiana, like on the way out. We're like, fuck, like (laughs) we're going camping without weed. What is wrong with us? (laughs) Like we literally live with a drug dealer, you know, like fuck, you know. Um, So we wind up, we get out to the Badlands and in a very, you know, typically cool situation. We see a bunch of other young people, you know, in a campsite and we're all kind of congregating and we met a few women who were also going out who had, you know, some stuff. It was the first time I'd smoked in a few days. And I ended up passing out on a picnic table in the middle of Badlands <laughs> National Park. And my buddy Evan just decides, oh, it's time to go to sleep. Just ducks out in the tent and fucking leaves me there. <laughs> like just sleeping outside, you know? And I wake up and I have one of those like quick, like, really like cool, um, deep, reflective moments because I open my eyes and I see like more stars and the biggest sky I've ever seen in my life. You know, I'm from fucking New Jersey and I'm lying here in Badlands National Park. I've never seen anything like it. You know, it's it's a million more stars I've ever seen. And I'm starting to get like deep and I'm I'm starting to consider what it means and consider my place in the universe, all that. (laughs) And then all of a sudden I hear, and then I hear, ow, ow, ow. and I'm like, ah! and I just like jump up quickly, quickly abandoning all of my deep uh, being one with the earth scenario and hiding shit scared in a tent from rattlesnakes and coyotes. Yeah. 
Speaking Jesus. of the Rattlesnake Festival. Yeah, speaking of the Rattlesnake Festival. Yeah, but so to pivot here, we had a conversation uh, last week with your buddy and my new friend, Roger Harvey. Um, Hell yeah. And you spoke of a, a mutual friend who, who inspired themselves by uh, striving for excellence, as was their quote. I, I think it was yeah. a mutual friend of yours to a musician who, when asked how he motivates himself to do certain things on a daily basis, is to strive for excellence. And apparently you had the idea that 2021 is about striving for ease. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> now, tell, tell me what that entails. That is uh, not ease in the lazy sense or right. anything like that, but ease maybe uh, in the water sense and that it will go to the path of least resistance and it always levels itself out. Mm. So trying to mitigate the bullshit that gets in the way of getting the things done that I want to. Um, kind of like taking a situation, looking at it and being like, what would this look like if it was easy? Because uh, sometimes asking that simple question itself, you can be like, oh, well, it might be a situation where it's like, do I really want to do this? How much mm. would it cost to pay someone else to do this? Mm. Uh, do I even need to do this? Like that kind of shit. Right. But right, also right. just ease in um, allowing the the go hard nature of everything before to kind of to not be as full of pressure. So like I taught the whole idea of doing music for an hour, at least a day, that's actually easier than um, waiting and doing a whole bunch at once or being mm. like, I have to do this from nine to five or, right, right, right. you know, the, it, it really incorporates like a forgiveness of the self into it, I guess. Okay. You know, it's, yeah. does that but also mostly I was thinking of water. like, like setting uh, like a manageable expectations? 100%. Yeah. It comes into being like, I don't need uh, to, to, to quote Joe Godino, He's like, I don't need to run a marathon, you know, this year, but I can set a goal of running 10 miles or uh, I can run a mile a month or, or whatever. Just like right. setting manageable expectations, making it easy. You should always strive to be the greatest that you can and have like lofty goals. Cause that's fun and shit. But uh just making it easy. Like, well, it's gotta be easy. Yeah. Cause last year was too hard. And even though it's the same thing as it was last year, nothing actually <laughs> happened. We just decided to call it different this yeah. week. Right. But, right uh, <laughs> yeah. The 2021 <laughs> escape fantasy. We've been talking about it a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the first thing that happened. <laughs> well, I, I know, chaos. I know. Well, but we did talk about the important, obviously it's just a day. And, you know, when you strip it all back physiologically, it doesn't, you know, mean shit. But, mm -hmm. you know, there is like a a philosophical and existential reboot, you know, that people can find from a new year. I think it's more like ceremonial, you know, than it is physical. And and that being said, do you do you believe in New Year's resolutions and did you make any? Yeah, I think it's. So useful. I think it, from a, uh, you know, societal standpoint, a personal standpoint, New Year's, uh, the reset, New Year's resolutions, all that is, is awesome. I fucking, I actually love New Year's resolutions. Um, oh, okay. I have so much fun every year making them, doing them, uh, failing at them. And this year <laughs> I have a couple. One is to put out the record every, sorry, not put out the record. Jesus Christ. Put out a podcast every week. Okay. Put a record a week. Jesus, can you imagine record the fucking a week. There you stress? Go. Fucking how Manageable shitty the record would be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't sleep either. Yeah. yeah, put out a podcast a week 
And uh, I'm also going to uh, do experiments, one experiment a month I'm excited about, whether it be like a physical diet related or a habit related. I'm just uh, mm. interested in doing some 30 day, 30 day ones. Be cool. Now, are these like experiments you're going to like write down? You're actually looking for data here or just like personal quests? Yeah, looking looking for looking for data here to see what actually works, you know, just to have some fun and do do I mean maybe I'll do something silly shit later in the year like uh do one particular thing that I would normally do righty, just do it lefty, see what happens by the end of the month, you know. <laughs> that kind of shit. I like that. Maybe yeah, I'm also there's also a th- yeah, I, you know the the stranger, dude, somebody posted a fucking <laughs> meme the other day. It was so funny. They're like the ribbed stranger and it was <laughs> A picture of their hand after they'd been pushing down on one of those grated iron tables. So oh, their no. hand was like, <laughs> oh, a rib straight. I get it. That, I will let people look that up. I don't. I don't feel like explaining what the stranger is to people. Right? Do you now. don't want to graphically describe it? Right no, nah, they could. If yeah. someone's curious right now, they can give that a Google. Yeah, sure. Yeah, totally. Oh <laughs> yeah. So more strangers for Tom this year. More that somehow we got there. Yeah, more strangers yeah. for me. All right. uh, and there was a third one actually that I yeah. uh, is I gonna just volunteer once a month. So oh, okay. I figure that's pretty manageable, pretty easy. Uh, something that I was my family was real big on when I was little, and feels like it's missing, and kind of throws back to earlier what we were talking about how I don't do anything with my neighbors, right? And figure it'd be cool to kind of meet some of those people and just do whatever. Awesome, man. Well, yeah. I wanted to talk about the fact that you leave the notification red on your text messages <laughs> for people. Cause I think it's fucking insane, but we're too late <laughs> in the podcast now to get into this maniacal thing of why you would want people to know if they read your text messages or not. Or well, even the more, opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So they can see if you've read them or not. Yeah. Doesn't it? I can't see if they've right, read no, mine. No, we have to get it. This is insane, Tom. Why do you do that to yourself? <laughs> That's so much you know, pressure, and you must get a lot of texts. Yeah, yeah. It might have, but I don't get them after I have to address them, you know? So it's like, uh, it started out, I think, maybe as a New Year's resolution situation. Start out my, my dear friend, Andy Clark, who, uh, you know, is one of the owners of Retro City Studios, great engineer, toured with, toured with a million bands, but he had his on from the live show setting where he needed it with the LD needed to text him. Mm. He wanted them to know that he had saw whatever they had said to him. Uh, So he started doing that. And I have another friend who has like a construction business and he does that for like a professional reason as well. But I just did it because I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I get so many text messages from people that I just don't want to talk to or don't address what they're saying or, you know, all that. I leave them in the mystery of whether or not I, how I feel about their information that they relate yeah, to me. Exactly. So I put the, yeah, ex- exactly. Which is useful if you like want to <laughs> avoid something. And I'm not even saying that that's wrong. It actually <laughs> is, it can be good in a lot of ways. Like, but I just switched it so that I would be absolutely forced to address everyone. And there's, there's definitely some funny ones. There's also some bad ones too, where like someone will send me something extremely emotional or right. be needing help with something. And then they see that I read it. And I didn't have, I was like, you know, being bad and driving or I was like, uh, I saw it on my computer or saw it while I was working on something. And then they know that I read it and didn't respond, right. which is pretty bad, but usually pretty good about just, just Well, it's like taking them. away your out, you know, cause like sometimes yeah. I look at my phone and I see it and I'm like, oh, okay. That's a big one. I not right now. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm doing too much. Yeah. Like I can't do this right now. So the idea that someone would see the fact that I saw it and ignored it would put this this strange guilt and pressure on me that yeah. I don't think I could manage. So you would respond, you know, it's like, that's what I did it. So I didn't, there was never any times where I just didn't say anything. I will say though, that's not as altruistic as, as we may think, because if I see a text message from someone I haven't spoken to in a while and I just know in some context what it's going to be like, I won't look at it yet. So I'll just be like, all right, well, so that's like a halfway point. I'll be like, all right, well, I can't look at that right now because I'm in the middle of doing something, but. So you found a way around the system a little bit. Yeah. I found a way to like cheat (laughs) myself a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So since you're in such a, a strong, you know, sort of spiritual and mental place at the moment, uh, what's a, what's like a tool that you could give to somebody you wake up in the day, what's like a physical or spiritual tool they could use to uh to get through the day and maybe what's like a good book or film you could recommend right now oh all right hell yeah i love that so for a film there's a documentary called fantastic fungi that came out um and it is so awesome it's narrated by brie larson it's got a bunch of the world's um eminent kind of pop mycologists in it it goes over the psychedelic um, therapies that are emerging and treatments mm-hmm. that are becoming legal in Canada and in the United States and some of the, the trials that are happening at Johns Hopkins and NYU. But it just goes over what mushrooms actually are and what mycelium is. And it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. People, a lot of people don't even really realize what it is. And it's yeah. entirely positive. <laughs> awesome. And then for habit, the plugging your phone in to charge overnight in a different room, it's great. Because then you can't okay. look at your screen when you can't fall asleep. Nobody could bother you. No one, unless you're like a doctor or the guy who has the nuclear codes, no one actually needs you, you know, like they're going to make it. I always was afraid, like, well, what if my sister calls me at 3am? I'm like, well, she'll call and I'll hear it ringing. She's not going to text me. Hey, I need you to pick me up. Yeah, killed my husband or some shit. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, that's a good one. That's definitely, I think that, uh, I've heard a bunch of people say that I think it's, I think it's almost going to be like recommended practice by like health and wellness groups <laughs> soon enough, you know, like where they're going to realize yeah. that waking up to your phone or going to sleep to your phone is just like fucking ruining our brains in some ways. Yeah. All the apps designed by people who have decades of psychological wow. research and the yeah. worst intentions are just trying to get you to so fire much off those dopamines. Yeah. yeah exactly. So much yeah. smarter than us. We can't even open the door. It's no. like it's like when people are like, "Hey, if you had five minutes in a room with like you know Donald Trump, what would you say?" I'm like, "No, I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't." I'm like, "That's like that's like sixty years of like manipulation and deception yeah. and lies." <laughs> exactly. I'm like, "I can't go toe to toe with that." And I think right? that's seriously the same. We're we're literally not physically or mentally equipped to like be on Twitter by ourselves. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. All right. So tune out, right? Yeah. Tune out. Tune out. Let's eat some of Tom's mushrooms. Yes. And move on with our day. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Hey, thanks, Tom. Dude, thank you so much for having me, man. That was amazing. (laughs) You're the best. (laughs) Fucking come on. (laughs) An absolute psychopath (laughs) for leaving... Your red texts 
on your phone. <laughs> Do you have that on your phone? No, no, way. no, you can't. No, like, I, oh, especially uh, someone like him. He, he knows so many people Yeah, in a popular band. Yeah. Even though he's a very joyous person and warm heart, he must get a number of texts. So he doesn't want to get yeah. just forcing himself it's too much pressure to engage too much pressure. I probably have half a dozen texts on my phone right now that I'm willfully ignoring. <laughs> and that's, that's my right. I don't know. Well, it takes a bold man to do that. A bold man like Tom May. Yeah, or a responsible one that can actually get back to people. Yeah, that's true. What is that? Was that a subtweet? Are you subtweeting me? <laughs> uh that was a fun journey with Tom. Yeah, he's a good guest to have this week. Man, I could talk to him for another hour. Well, maybe we will at some point. Yeah, round two? Face-to-face with some IPAs. Well, I guess he won't have an IPA, but I will. Yeah, he can have, <laughs> he can have an NA. Speaking of a uh, bombastic good time, <laughs> Friday, this Friday... It will be the 15th of January. We'll be doing our first little uh, hangout session on Discord, the going off track patron hangout session, right? We, yeah, we should note that it's only for patrons. So yes. um, the select few, you're long overdue. And it'll just be, yeah, it'll just be a little chat room. We can talk about the show. You can ask us any questions you want, but... Mm-hmm. Um, time is to be announced i think we're going to maybe do a poll for the patrons yeah so they can yeah. tell us when to what's a good time the friday chat that's going to be fun remember to check out tom's new year's resolution of doing a future friday podcast weekly all year 2021 oh yeah he should be live in two weeks he said that like i said that's a good program and i and i have a feeling since he's kind of get going punk rock with it, it's going to get fun. Yeah, so keep up with him at Instagram and I think at Twitter too, at uh, Tom May All Day. Mm-hmm. He also has a really cool second Instagram, which we talked about after after we stopped recording. He has a, a photo-only Instagram, which is Tom May Photo, which I really liked. Um, so, you know, if you're really into it, you want to see some cool photos, check that out. Of course... The Menzingers at Instagram and Twitter. And then we've got us at Going Off Track. And then some guy at Benny Horowitz. I'm Benny Horowitz one. There's still another guy. <laughs> yeah. Don't still go for the first one on Twitter that you come to. So anyway, patrons, if you don't hear, if you don't get a little message about the poll, go to the website, check it out. Um, because we're definitely going to do something this Friday and we'd love to get everybody involved. If you want to... Be a patron. It's patreon.com slash going off track. If you want to leave us a little something, something, people have been very generous lately at Venmo. It's venmo.com at off track. You can leave us a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, one million dollars. If you leave us five million dollars, though, I'll tell you right now, we will stop doing this podcast. Whoa. And, and retire. Whoa, <laughs> speak for yourself. I'll tell you what, if you give us any more than a million dollars, we will do the podcast guaranteed for the next five years. How's that she, sound? I, that sounds better to me. <laughs> My wife just asked me that question recently. She gave me the lottery hypothetical. 
the what do you do if you win the lottery? Do you still work? And I said, of course. <laughs> of course you still work. What well, you, you know that, that old joke? The farmer? No. Can I hear it? This is you gotta you gotta know this lifestyle. But yeah, this is the farmer wins the lottery and the you know, the the local news comes and says, So you just won the mega millions, what are you gonna do now? He's like, Well, I reckon I'll keep farming until it's all gone. (laughs) (laughs) It's a farmer joke, man. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot funnier up in the uh the straw fields of New England in the 1950s. We can say we'll, we'll, we'll keep podcasting until it's all gone. How's that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Have a great week and a great weekend, and hopefully we'll see some of you on Friday. Peace out. Going off track, went off the rails. I lost my concentration telling all these tales. Going off track. Yeah, we go off. Some exit in New Jersey just like Eastern Car.